Hello, everybody. This is Carter. Uh, welcome back to the Back to the Roots podcast. My guests are looking at me condescendingly because we had about five minutes of conversation and the SD card decided to be uh, error-ridden, so we have none of that conversation. So... <laughs> here we are here we are i remember my intro let's go <laughs> quick uh quick uh reintroductions uh, we have than christopolis uh what's your full name than athanasios k christopolis good god he's greek and then we got yeah he is kempo kempo john aka john ways hypnotist magician hypnotist, extraordinary uh, guy who identifies as the plastic bag from kitty perry's music video fireworks <laughs> <laughs> That laugh was funny because you laughed the first time you said that you laughed for real and this time I'm like that was forced. Well, it wasn't forced. It was more like oh I appreciated it again. Okay. But then I didn't have like the energy to put in. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Today we are drinking Henry Weinhardt's. Is this a twist off? Because I can't get it off. Uh, it is a twist off. (laughs) Henry, my hands are that. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Got it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? That wasn't the slam against you. Dude, that sounds super cool. That's what that's cool. I'll try that. Can I do that? It's actually not terrible, and I don't even like root beer. That's actually kind of good. It's made with uh cane sugar. Maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The real sugar does help. <clears throat> Holy so, crap, that's actually I'm impressed right now. Look at him! Look at me, guys! I'm converting Hi. people back to root beer. What? Hi! Oh, yeah. Don't that? don't count. No, not yet. Wait until the end. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, well, you guys aren't here to listen to dudes doing this. <laughs> well, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> but okay. So uh, we went to Kempo class this evening, which is where I know Kempo John from Howdy. via the name. Uh, and Than came with me, and we just like, of course, the 15 minutes were there. These two managed to strike up a conversation about philosophy, philosophy, Stuff. and because that's T. You for a living do what? I am a Christian philosopher mainly, but like I work in apologetics as well. Yeah, and Kempo, you're just very. I'm an agnostic hypnotist who uses illusionist shows as well to get people to think outside the box and challenge their thoughts and beliefs. So yeah, same thing, right? Yeah. More or less. <laughs> Same thing, different technique, different path. And originally, this was just going to be T and I. I call yeah. Than T, by the way. Oh, it's his pet name. <laughs> uh, and, like, I've had conversations with you, Kempo, before on car yeah. trips and stuff. So, like, I heard that, I mean, I could tell you guys had a little bit of, you had something in common to talk about, which T, you and I don't really have as much. <laughs> I still t- I talk to you about this kind of stuff. Yeah, but I have to like apply ninety percent of my brain. <laughs> I have to like sit there and really try to listen. That's how I thought I was gonna have. That's how I thought I've, I was gonna feel getting into this. Honestly, because oh. he used words that I didn't understand, and I well, haven't heard since well, that's, Catholic school. That's two of us. Right. Minus so the Catholic school. If part. I ever say anything that goes over your head, you, all you have to be is all you have to tell me is just be like, "Yo, you need a." Explain that. Like, just let me know. It's not a big deal. I'm going to sit here and just say the word define over and over again. That's totally <laughs> fine. Uh, Kempo, let's, um, we'll do this with T a little bit too, but I want to hear your, um, 
backstory, if you will, a little bit on why it is that you believe what you believe? Uh, so I grew up in a very Catholic family and I didn't really, as I don't think a lot of children do based on what I've heard from people my age now, when we're all kids, we all just kind of give in to and abide by what our parents think, feel, say, and do because that's pretty much our world. And I started going to Catholic school. Uh, I think I've always been in Catholic school actually until I obviously graduated high school and then I ended up going uh, to a not so necessarily Catholic uh, community college. But I basically just grew up Catholic. And as I was telling you guys earlier, like when I was growing up, I was looking up some of my siblings who weren't as Catholic and they started having their own thoughts and opinions. And in my mind at like 12, 13, 14, I was like thinking, come on guys, just, just be, just be Catholic. Like just believe in God. It's that easy. Like, Oh, I believe in God. You can too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like going to buy toilet paper. You can do it too. Like, I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> as a comparison, but that was my ideology growing up is like, you know, and I think it's just because when you go to a school, like that, they tend to shove that down your throat, for right. lack of better phrasing. And I started getting into magic when I was, I don't even know, I think I was in like sixth grade, and I met some other kid, and then he and me kind of combined forces per se in middle school until about eighth grade, and then we were just doing magic back and forth, and so I realized, oh, I think I want to do this. This is really cool. It sounds like the last few sentences you said sound like the like the setup to uh, like Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Started magic, and this other guy who was into magic, and we kind of joined forces, and went back and forth. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that. Uh, and then in high school, I just kind of grew with that, and then I, I got my first like $150 gig when I was like a junior in high school, and I was like, holy crap people will pay me to do what I do as an <laughs> introverted, cooped-up kid in my room for them. And I was like, all right, let's buy more magic tricks from the magic store and start doing more stuff to get more $150 paychecks. Hell yeah, pay bills. Don't even have any because I'm 18, but let's go. Um, and then my thing was, as I was getting through high school, I just naturally started questioning, like... What is the validity to everything we're being taught out of the Bible or how I was being, you know, taught religion? And I don't feel as if a lot of the time I was being taught real world applications or, you know, how this might be affecting all of us individually. We were just saying, we were basically taught, hey, read these scriptures, read these passages, fill mm -hmm. out this worksheet. That's your religion class. Mm -hmm. And something about that I think subconsciously just didn't feel right because I didn't feel like, all right, well, why why are you trying to teach me this? Why are you trying to make me understand and remember all these things? Um, so that was just kind of in the back of my mind. I didn't fully understand it, but I was very, very happy to graduate and get the hell out of it. Um, just because when you go through school your entire life and something that you don't necessarily agree with or understand is just consistently thrown down your throat and you have to pass that to get a good grade and to pass school and um, it just, it gave me the ideology that I had to know this to make it in life, even though by the time I got to college, which is where a bunch of things started shifting for me, I realized that wasn't the case in the same way that I realized eventually I didn't need college to become a professional entertainer and I would end up dropping out. But when I got to college, I got into hypnosis because I went to a magic website. I was still doing magic at the time. And my mom got me this I thought it was a magic trick from a website. It turned out to be a two-hour audio course on waking hypnosis, which I 
thought it was just a magic trick. I didn't really understand hypnosis at that time. And ironically, I thought hypnosis was... Com- Are we allowed to curse? Uh, sh- yeah, P- <laughs> P- PG-13 level. Uh, I thought it was complete BS. Yeah. And I was like, no. Um, granted, the first thought in my, in my teenage head was like, but if I could do this, I could make the hot girl in class kiss me. Cool. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, I had that classic thought. And so when I got into college, I think it was my first semester in college, I got that audio for Christmas. And then my second semester of college, I actually started implementing the training I took. And then David Blaine, I'm guessing you both know yeah. of him. Yep. So his consultant, one of his consultants, Jay Noblezada, who created one of his most popular tricks called self tying shoelace on TV, reached out to me and said, hey, I'm the co-creator of this thing you just took and uh, filmed yourself doing, proving that waking hypnosis works to your YouTube. Would you mind coming out for a test group for about three days in Vegas, and we're going to test if we can't get a bunch of people to go from like amateur hypnotists or not even hypnotists, but you know, magicians to professional hypnotists. And so I went out there and I ended up being like the youngest out of like 55 people. I think I was 19. And I learned the basic psychology and sociology behind hypnosis, how to hypnotize someone. And then the more I got into that, the more that the religious community I was growing, I grew up with started questioning me and kind of looking down on me and some of them even started talking down to me like you you shouldn't be doing this or this is the devil's worship or whatever people people in like the church they don't i mean i don't know enough about hypnotism to be like all i know is what i've learned from hanging around with you and Mm -hmm. shooting you and doing stuff like that but um like people like they just they don't understand it and they think that it's they very quickly tie it yeah. to, to something demonic. To something, something. De- demonic. You said sociology yeah. and psychology, so to me, it's yeah. like, oh, this isn't spiritual. Well, I say you're not that, talking about like chakras and yeah, no. <laughs> I say that in the sense of like that was how people started reacting, like psychologically and sociologically, they start reacting like it was bad, but when it actually comes down to what it is, like actual hip, just general hypnosis, not stage hypnosis, but general hypnosis can be summarized down into one word, which is relaxation. Mm-hmm. That's not the stuff you see up on stage or hypnotherapy or anything, but it can branch into either of those. But when you actually look into and actually fully thoroughly study hypnosis, it comes down to two topics, which is psychology and science. But obviously, and, and I have to teach this to my students with the second company I created years later after my first one, um, where I teach people what hypnosis is, how it works, and actually get them to hypnotize people, is you you fear or we we tend to fear what we don't understand mm-hmm. and religious people i found out at least religious extremists tend to look at what i do like my childhood best friend and i grew up together and he used to be my videographer before carter and he used to be my audio guy and everything and he watched me do magic and mentalism and you know predicting newspaper headlines for different shows and he thought that was cool but when i got in hypnosis he was a born again christian or catholic and I think he had that same misperception everyone had. So it literally took me, I think, until the last year or two to get him to be like, hey, here's what's, let me sit you down and actually explain what this is. And then I went back to my high school and I talked with the nun about it that used to teach me. And interestingly, she was the one person in the entire Catholic school community there that actually supported me and actually introduced, reintroduced me to what I had when I went to school, which was the Catholic catechism. And there's actually a paragraph or a passage in it that states that the Catholic Church actually sees hypnosis as a tool that can be used for therapy. And interestingly enough, we found me and a lot of people in the hypnosis community who try to 
performing high schools or colleges that are very, very Catholic. They're like, well, we're not sure we want the devil worship here. We want, maybe we'll just stick to a DJ for the, these kids' proms or whatever, is to say, hey, if you're Catholic, read this part of your book. And sometimes it gets them to think like, oh, maybe it's not what we thought it was. And I realize, and I teach my students now, I'm like, if you're going to get into hypnosis, the first thing you need to understand is 50% of your job is going to be to educate people. Because despite all the movies that have come out, you know, since my training in 2011, it's still something that a lot of people kind of get freaked out by and don't understand. And as a result, kind of going back to the main root point of Carter's question, I think I was just kind of disenchanted at that point by at least the specific Catholic community I grew up with and how they were looking at and talking down to me. And it made me kind of want to distance myself from general organized religions for quite a while until the past few years when I realized not everyone's like that, but I'm, I still don't have a personal interest in diving into another organized religion per se, but I have no issues talking about people who have different perceptions or come from different communities. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've really appreciated about um, our friendship is because when we are like in the car driving to one of your shows or whatever, um, as has happened for a couple hours at a time, um, we've had conversations like this. We have conversations with this, like this around the fire and stuff too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, those are the best conversations. Um, and you are a pretty humble person. You're not, you don't get like super emotional about this sort of thing. Uh, and it's really interesting to have like conversations with somebody who doesn't have, you know, like I not used even to. But, <laughs> like I 10 years like, ago, I was bad. <laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to learn how to chill out manually in the past 10 years. Yeah. Well, it's a good skill to have. <laughs> but yeah, like you're easy to have these conversations with. You bring a different perspective than the one that I grew up in. So it's always super interesting to have these conversations. Um, and I will say, from what I've seen of hypnosis, it's uh, at least the kind that you do. It's, uh, I don't know, it's super interesting. I think so. It's, Would you be surprised if I told you I got hypnotized in college? No. That's I was uh, <laughs> I was a superhero named Booger. Dude. <laughs> and I snorted mucus on people. Dude, that is one of the best superhero routine thing skits right there that I think I've ever heard. <laughs> that's great i might have the video still have, i'll see if i can find it after if you can recording. i would love to see that that'd be great <laughs> watch, a... watch my instagram i'm gonna post it <laughs> <laughs> well what's crazy about it too is um this this was back when i was still an atheist even what's crazy about it is like i look back at the memory and it's almost like two distinct memories like i remember it as if I was like just a crazy person running around thinking I'm a superhero, mm -hmm. but I also remember it as as if I was Booger <laughs> in, in, in this alternate world. Welcome to hypnosis. <laughs> so, I think that's the part that freaks people out. Is like what you just said there. They would a lot of people would interpret that as you didn't have control and you were like psychologically placed into a a type of being or mentality or something that you wouldn't be able to control if you wanted to. No, I never, I never felt like I didn't have control. It was more of just like a, a the booger realm, <laughs> the booger, the boogerverse. I don't want to just spat the all over Carter's chair. <laughs> the boogerverse was like very real to me, and I was making, and I was making conscious choices. It yep. was just, I was making conscious choices based off of a dreamlike 
yep. state or illusion, whatever you want to say. Yeah. I don't understand the psychology behind it. All I remember is what I experienced and what it felt like. Most people say it's a dreamlike state when they come out of it. Okay. Because yeah. it's like, it seems like it's, you did, you've done one thing to me in the past and it was very yeah. base level. It was like the intro level. Because whenever you hypnotize somebody, um, you kind of do the same routine, you know, you have them relax, close their eyes, mm-hmm. focus on your voice, and then you bring them out of it. And depending on how they reacted to that, you can either take them deeper or not. Um, and that much is just seems like relaxation. Yeah. Um, and there's been times, so you know the 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 one you do where you have the person uh, like clasp their hands in front of them and then like make a like like they're praying with their hands, but then they extend their two index fingers. I can hear all the all the people in my field that may ever listen to this just nodding their heads right now. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, a very classic thing. I'm trying to describe it to people magnetic who don't fingers know. is what yeah. it's called. And uh, you tell the person to try to keep your fingers apart, but mm-hmm. then you tell them that they're getting closer together, and then they touch. And there's been times where I'm like, I'll bet you I could make somebody do that. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, could. you could. But, but then I, but. Uh, like that part of the hypnotism doesn't necessarily seem that complicated, but then you've talked about like needing to bring people out of it. I'm like that. I don't know how to do. And I'm scared to try because I don't know what I'm doing and it can get messy. What if they just stay in a hypnotic state the rest of their lives? Because Carter fingers will always be magnetic. (laughs) (laughs) There's literally a movie based on that called office space where the guy goes to a hypnotherapist for his marriage. Okay. And the wife, the wife hired the hypnotist to hypnotize her husband, and the the therapist literally spoiler alert for whoever hasn't seen this, the therapist literally gets a heart attack mid session, dies, and the guy is then quote unquote stuck in hypnotic trance for the rest of you know his days, and he completely changed his his life. And my second company, Hypnokick, which t- gives away, uh, it used to give away free weekly, now it's free monthly lessons. One of the first lessons we did was the hypnocoma myth which is in summarize in summary no that's not, not possible. a legit thing no i can't i we're not we're not putting you in like a hospital coma psychologically in in trance i mean it's kind of like it'd be like um what you experienced in college yeah but if i didn't or if the hypnotist just didn't snap their fingers or say you know eyes open wide awake there's one or two things that's go- that that are going to happen every time which is either you're just going to randomly open your eyes whenever you consciously choose to because you're going to be like, okay, well, what's going on? Or you're going to go pass out into natural delta unconscious REM sleep and then eventually you'll wake up like you do any other time you go to sleep. Yep. But there's no... That such, makes sense. There's no such thing as a hypnocoma because I don't think I'd have a girlfriend if there was. <laughs> They'd never wake up. That's right. You can't... <laughs> dude, you, need, you needed to change that joke. I, I did. He, I, I thought it would work well there, but... <laughs> so Kempo would always say whenever he did like shows to people he'd be like okay you know people think that hypnotism is like like i'm controlling you that's not what it is and your punchline was because if it was then i would have a girlfriend because yep. like you could hypnotize a girl and she'd be in love with you yeah but now you do have a girlfriend i i literally now you want to know what my punchline to that joke is now sure so you know i have the other videographer i go don't worry it's not my control if it was i'd have a girlfriend i wait for everyone to laugh i just go Hey, Philip. And I look at the, in the back and everyone realizes that at that point I'm talking to my videographer. I'm like, please don't tell her I said that. And then everyone laughs. <laughs> oh, at that. that's pretty good. That's clever. Yeah. Nice. But uh, I did a show like that. One of the first times that I did a show after we got together. And then she heard me editing that video. <laughs> and she immediately slowly turned her head and looked at me. <laughs> and it was at that point in my real life. I was like, hey, is it cool if that's the new punchline? And I- she just goes, 
It is now. <laughs> and now her entire reality is yeah, in question. Right. <laughs> Do I even exist? <laughs> Dude, that is something I actually love um, doing. Like when I do pre-show demonstrations leading up to like, especially hypnosis shows, because it, there's just such misconceptions around it and people aren't sure whether or not they want to partake in it. I found out that if we show up early and I do like strolling magic or mind reading, they understand magic is, you know, deception, sleight of hand. So it's easier to uh, engage in conversation and get their interest in the main show through that. And I'll do a card trick where I say, you know, is this is any of this real? Is this deck of cards real? You know, who's to say that Elon Musk wasn't right and that this is all simulation? And then I do an illusion where I turn the whole deck blank to make it look like there never was a deck of cards. And then I hand them the deck physically so they can go through and all the cards are exactly back to normal. And I just go, so yeah, just ask yourself, are you real? And I just like walk away. And then they're just like, what's going on? I will say, I've seen that trick done by people before, but then you finally showed me how you do it. And as somebody who's friends with a magician and who's seen at least the answer to that trick, it's disappointing. <laughs> so just <laughs> welcome to my life. <laughs> so just don't, if you are like in awe of magic and you're like, I want to know how they do the tricks. Just, no, you don't. You don't want to know. It's sad. Stay in the childhood <laughs> awe. It's that's the place to be. And that, I think that goes hand in hand really well with on my way here. I was thinking about when one of the last shows we did together was a corporate magic show I had to do. Yep. And I had to do two of them. And the one you came with me on was where I, at the very end, the finale was, I was giving an envelope dated for the following weekend and said, this is the prediction for the newspaper for this town when I come by and finish my next show next week. And you asked me how I did that. I think the best way to relate the answer is as cool as it is for you to know that you can do that blank card trick now on your own if you wanted to, as disappointed as you were in that trick is about how disappointing it is to know how I can predict any newspaper anywhere in the world. Hmm. And yet we will still never know how you do that because <laughs> you won't tell me. Honestly, if someone Googles it enough in this day and age of 2021, you could probably find it. I, I choose not to Google it. <laughs> Good man. I need to know. I need to be. I want, I want to be. I want to be. Amazed. Yes. Yeah. The answer is pretty obvious. He just knows everything. Oh, that. yeah, there you go. <laughs> that works. Um, okay, so that's, Kempo, that's your kind of backstory and who you are, uh, Than, brief. You you mentioned you were, uh, you said when you were still an atheist, when you were talking earlier about when you were a Oh, yeah, when man. I was in college? Yeah. So, like, What do you want me to talk about? Real brief, because, like, Kempo explained how he stands with, like, organized religion and kind of where he stands now. Yeah. Because you're on a little bit of the opposite side of the spectrum, but similar in a sort of weird respect. I guess maybe the opposite, aside from the magic and uh, hypnotist side of things. Take my hand. Take my know, hand. Do, join the cult. You're, you're pretty hypnotic to me. Am I hypnotic? Oh, yeah. It might be my radio voice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, I do like your voice, by the way. Thank you. I kind of envy it, actually. I don't know. I don't know. You got a good radio voice, like you just said. I've, I've heard. I've had a lot of people tell me that. I've had a lot of people. Actually, I got asked to. This isn't answering your question. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I got asked the other day to be a voice actor for an anime in development, and I'm actually nice. considering Dude, doing it. Dude, you need to jump. It'd all be over so that. fun to do that because I because they're like we need a deep Asian voice that's mm. like a macho voice. I'm like, oh, I can do. That. I can do that. <laughs> how do you, how do you know it? when something's deep and Asian? Um, so Asian is a, <laughs> it's, it's like anime Asian, right? Like, uh -oh. 
So the like a line, the line, like one of the lines I was given, I was given was, oh, shoot, what was it? It was something. What were the words? Just don't forget it right now. <laughs> yeah, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Hypnosis um, on the podcast. <laughs> there's a finger snap. The finger snap. Um, I forgot what the line was, but we'll just make one up. It'd be something like, oh, you dare approach me? <laughs> And that's not even like you, I've I've heard you do. It before. That's not me. I'm trying to like not be super loud right now. That's fair. Yeah, it's um, like ten o'clock. But yeah. So anyway, um, I was an atheist most of my life. Um, which we'll call it. My ex girlfriend's parents were Christians. She was an atheist too. And this is me like giving a very long story short. Obviously, um, her parents. I remember I, went, I was a firefighter at the time, and her parents, her dad, who was more of like a father figure to me at the time, uh, he was talking to me about some stuff that I was going through, and he just said, like, hey, this might help. There's the Bible. And I was like, oh, it's just ancient myth, crap, whatever. But, like, you want to keep your girlfriend's dad happy. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll take that. And I just kind of, like, read the Bible a little bit, and I came across some verses that, to me, were just, like, helpful poetry. Uh-huh. Um fast forward a little bit i had like some experiences that i can't explain naturally i think that right there is the reason i'm not atheist and i'm agnostic okay fair enough and i want to get to that in a minute, um but. fast forward some more after i become a christian for about a year uh, i was going through a crisis of faith because i was a christian was calling myself a christian but then i had all these questions because i naturally being a person that likes to ask questions and question everything like, even when I was in grade school, I had this brief solipsism thing where I was just like, how, how do I actually know everything's real? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back um, to my world. <laughs> and like, well, it was like a real thing because I was, I was in like fifth or sixth grade thinking to myself, oh, that's like, really early. How wow. can I how can I actually trust that? Like what I'm experiencing is not just an illusion or something. Fifth or sixth grade. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's intense. Um. But are anyway, so are you okay? <laughs> I just eventually stopped thinking about it. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> if we could do that with like all stresses in life, like Bill's ah, now I'm good. I, I, I for now from my like, very young, like now looking back retrospectively, I'm like, oh, of course I'm a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started going through all these like questioning periods about my faith, and nobody had nobody had answers. Um, everybody I trusted was like, oh, you just have to have faith. And if I, t- if I talk to a pastor, don't question God. And I was just like, screw this. I'm going to like study and find the answers, even if that means I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and so I started literally just questioning everything, piece by piece by piece by piece. Um, and that started my fascination with philosophy. Um and then I started talking to philosophers and I like Christian philosophers and I listened to the way they're questioning everything. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, these are my people, <laughs> like the way they think and everything. And so that is a huge like part of because I'm, I'm kind of I, I think I went through a similar thing kind of off and on for the past two years. And I'm at a kind of a set more of a settled point with it right now, but I'm still kind of going through because that's that's deconstruction is what that is. Yeah. Right? The act of deconstruction. So right now, like you hear that term thrown around a lot and it's got this really heavy yeah. thing because it's about like these people that were really big, famous Christians and then they like deconstructed yeah. and flipped upside down. But what is like deconstruction? On right. Its own? So uh, in a colloquial, like commonly understood sense, people will hear the word deconstruction and they're going to think 
oh, you're losing your faith. Yeah. But the thing is, like, like a more intentional use of the word um, and look into the word is actually going to reveal a lot more different things. And I actually think it's a good thing. Yeah. An atheist can go through deconstruction. A hardened empiricist or, like, I'm throwing out words here, right? But, like, a materialist can go through a deconstruction, all this other stuff. Right. And so... All it really means at the end of the day, it's it's a process of questioning your worldview, your, the systems of beliefs, and the systems of knowledge you have. Mm-hmm. Is it like reverse engineering? Ish? Not really. It's more just like, okay, I believe in proposition X, Y, and Z, but does X, Y, and Z contradict A, B, C? And then all of a sudden, if you find contradictions within the way you view the world, you're like, well, okay, these two can't be true at the same time, so which one do I get rid of gotcha and all of a sudden it's like but i also believe proposition g and i'm like there's no evidence for this so why do i even believe this and i've heard it described you're describing it well i get i give a real i'll I'll give a analogy sure if that's better yeah um imagine you are imagine you just bought this is how i this is how i figure the majority of people's worldviews are imagine you just bought like a house but the house was a hoarder's house that they never took care of it. The foundations cracked um, and the supporting walls are like moldy and all this other stuff. And you're just going through the house piece by piece, ripping out the bad parts, putting in new ones and making sure that the house is actually like has some structural integrity. And now and then you go through piece by piece and fix the aesthetic things like the railing, the chairs and all this other stuff. And you, you eventually take out so all the bad things, the false things, and you put in all the true things and the good things. If that I like right that. Helps. Yep. I like that. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like I've kind of gone through that a little bit. Um, so I, and I, di- I haven't swung to the full <laughs> philosophical <laughs> Most side. Most people won't, yeah. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, though, how, like, you and I have been friends for, like, three years. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you've gone through things literally, like a year before I go through them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like you've been a, you've been helpful and stuff in those times. Um, but yeah, like learning that it's okay to like question everything. And that's what I'm still doing right now. I'm reading my Bible like more consistently right now than I ever have. Mm-hmm. And it's partially because I kind of, it clicked in my head that like, okay, if God is real, then the Bible is literally, you know, it's his word. It's what he's given us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, pages it's it's words on a page that he's basically approved or spoken inspired yeah yeah um so i'm like if this if god is real then this is like a gold mine like the mm-hmm. bible is gold mine um so i'm going through it and there's times where i read something I'm like that doesn't make sense that doesn't add up to what i think yep. is true and so what i would used to do is i would just glance on through it because I'm like, I'm reading my Bible because I have to. But now because I'm looking for truth, I'm like, yep. okay, this doesn't make sense. And then, you know, I go to the different references. I'm like, you know, does the Bible answer itself here? Because often it references itself and yep. things balance out and it makes sense. Um, other times, you know, I'll go to external mm-hmm. sources. But yeah, just like, yeah. I feel like that's a deconstruction, regardless of what you believe, is a super healthy thing to do. Yep. I think it's generally a Let's put it this way. Um, and when I say the word God here, I'm not even talking about the Christian God that you at least, and not you and I believe in. I'm talking about just a theistic being right. that created everything um, and is the source of all things. And that includes like 
moral truths. I would say, I would argue that truth-seeking itself is a virtue that's objectively good. And so if this God exists, questioning everything and genuinely just seeking truth itself is one of the highest virtues you can do because you're, you're seeking truth itself, you're seeking that theistic being itself. Mm. And to me, when you look at like the, the historical evidence coupled with the philosophical argumentation for theism, like I, the best explanation, and I say this very strongly, I think the best explanation is Christianity. I'm not going to say 100%. I think anybody that says 100% fact that Christianity is true either is arrogant or lying to you. <laughs> Interesting. But you do subscribe to the yeah. to the gospel. Yes. I, I'm a, I'm 100% a Christian. I, if I had to give it like a percentage, I'd give it like a 95%. Well, that's where, that's where, I mean, as a Christian, I would say that's where faith comes into play. Well, faith meaning... Faith, faith understood is, like in modern times, is belief without evidence, right? Right. But historically speaking, when you look at the word faith, it's the, the Greek word, for instance, is pistis. And that's, that means to have strong confidence in someone or something. And like further evidence of that definition would even be the ancient Greeks, mm -hmm. who had a Greek god named pistis, who was the symbol of confidence, trustworthiness, and all these other things. Huh. Um... So I wouldn't say faith is really the right word for it. It's more, um, I don't know what word I would assign to that, but it's more of just like a, this is where we would talk about epistemology and all these other things that I don't There's know. There's that word again. Yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if you want me to go either. into it, right? Um, that's well, why I'm trying to choose my words carefully. We'll get, we may get to that. Yeah. Um, so Kempo, um, sir, you have, uh, you mentioned that, uh, or maybe you didn't mention, but I know this of you that you, you were, you're in a Catholic church, you believed mm -hmm. in God, then you became an atheist. No, I didn't. You didn't. I you, became an agnostic. You became an agnostic, yeah. but there's a reason that you haven't gone full swing atheist. I thought about atheism, um, cause that was literally, oh God, that was, yeah, literally after my second semester of university. I'd already taken my Vegas training and I was doing all that and I was getting kind of verbally talked down to by mainly religious figures like the nuns and everything of my community. And I think it was literally um, nine. Oh, God. I yes, T, you can pee. He wrote something out. He wrote something out on his phone. <laughs> Like with his finger, like he drew it. He's <laughs> just, can I pee? Question mark. And walks up to me. That's funny. Yes. Um, but I think I, I woke up and it was like 11.58 a.m. or something. Uh -huh. And I remember looking at the clock. Or no, sorry. On September 2nd, 2011, 11.58 a.m., I had woken up in my bed after having what I realized later on after doing some research was a lucid dream. Okay. So I had a lucid dream. And then obviously, because it's lucid, I realized I was dreaming. And I was like, all right, well, what do I have to do based on the very little things I know about dreaming at this age and at this point in my research in my life to travel in a dream? And I thought, well, what if I thought the word ceiling and literally just thinking the word ceiling in the dream, I fly up to the ceiling. And I'm like, 
okay, that's interesting. The ceiling of my dream, that is. And then I, in my mind, I go, where am I? And at that moment, it was like, picture looking just straight up at your ceiling and then like turning your head to the left and swooping down. So then you're looking straight down in front of you versus straight up in front of you at the ceiling. Now you're looking straight down at the floor. It was like that, but it was all, it was blurred from where I was initially, where that ceiling was. It was blurred from the ceiling to then in front of me above my own body. So was this, this wasn't in the lucid dream. So I'm under the impression based on the experience and what it felt like I, what it started as the lucid dream. It ended with me. What I ended up researching, finding out was it ended with me astral projecting out of my own dream above my body. And I remember thinking to, to this very second in this moment in history in my life, I still recall that being the most peace I had ever felt mentally, physically, emotionally in any way, shape or form. And I didn't understand why I felt it, but I didn't really question it in the moment. I was just very grateful for it. But then immediately I thought, okay, well, how do I get back in there? And then (laughs) I started like floating closer and closer to my body. And then eventually I got really, really close to my nose and I just blacked out. And then you know how like you take a... Um, a vacuum hose and you put it to your hand and you can feel that suction. Yeah, It felt like that, but literally from the top of my head to the tips of my toes for my whole body. I blacked out and felt that for my whole body. And then I woke up in the exact same position with the covers laying on me in the exact same manner with the clock saying the exact same time and everything in my room situated the exact same as it was seconds beforehand when I was projecting. And when I later researched and found out that that's what it was, is actual projection and that it's a spiritual realm. That is up to date. Why I think I haven't chosen to become an atheist is because much ironically, like my career path now as a hypnotist and people like, Oh, hypnosis isn't real. Just like people say, Oh, religion isn't real or spirituality isn't real. The amount of people I have quote unquote converted, cause I don't like saying that, but for lack of better phrasing, the amount of people I've quote unquote converted by hypnotizing after they told me they can't be hypnotized and they go, oh, it's real. But that was purely because I knew how to give them the experience. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of is just a very ironic thing for me to have gone through and to last up to this moment in my life, you know, over or I guess almost 10 years later now. Um, But I think that's the reason that I decided not to just go full atheist is like, well, I had an experience and I can't deny that because I still remember what it was like and I still remember every part of it. So obviously something is there. I just don't know what it is. Interesting. I would, I mean, T, might, scoot, scoot, your, scoot your mic closer. Is this good? Yeah, it's great. Uh, you might be surprised to hear me say this, but I would actually say that's not, um, I wouldn't actually even say that would be, that would be evidence of like a God existing. It might be evidence of like the immaterial soul for you. That's what I'm, that's what I'm kind of, and I okay. guess I should have specified that the, that was my experience based proof for myself yeah like that a, that, spirituality at the very least exists but then yeah. i think in my mind it was well if that exists and the bible does talk about angels and demons and spirits yep who's to say therefore that that wouldn't be a possibility part of that. yeah yeah okay i get that then so in that fancy word epistemology that it would serve as a justification for your belief okay of yeah. other things define epistemology um theories of like the theory of how do i explain this um, it's like the theory of knowledge itself, the study of knowledge. So what does that actually mean to know things? 
how can you know things? What methods can you use to know things? Gotcha. Can we know everything, anything, <clears throat> stuff like that? Gotcha. Okay, cool. So, yeah. And a justification words. is just a way to, not to use the same word in the definition, but yeah. a justification of believing in this thing. Yeah, and I and again, I think it's just because of, ironically, the exact same reason that I've been able to, quote-unquote, convert so many people who initially didn't believe in hypnosis before they met me, or I, I've met people who said that they've been to a hip, other state hypnotists or other hypnotherapists, and I remember I, one of my students held a show, a drunk woman came up after the show and said, hey, look, I've been to two state hypnotists, I've been to three hypnotherapists, or two or three hypnotherapists, no one's hypnotized me. Why can't I be hypnotized? And why did your friend fail? And you know, what's wrong with me? I'm not joking when I tell, tell you it took me less than five minutes to induce her, get her deep, get her relaxed, remove that emotional issue, and then bring her out of it. And then she ended up bawling her eyes out and hugging me and going, oh my God, now I understand. That's what hypnosis is. And you just hypnotized me. And then she like ran off and I was just like, it's all based on, I, I think that goes hand in hand with though, and, and this is going to cause a rabbit trail. Was it me and my approach? Was it her and her state? Was it a combination of those things? And if it was me and my approach or her and her state, does that mean that we're all only going to get to where we need to be because it's the right time and or with the right people? Are you referencing a type of like fatalism of sorts here or something or more of like, I guess actually, no, I wasn't initially thinking that, but I mean, I think that that'd be an interesting take on it. Like, yeah, like is what we're going to become as who we're going to become as people or what we're going to experience in our lives. Is that determined by fate? Does fate exist? Does it not? What if, like, you know, what was it about me or maybe about her or a combination of those things that enabled me to provide her that experience or that helps people go from atheist to non-atheist? Like, is it fate determined? Is it based on our own experiences since we apparently have free will or is it somehow dictated by a higher being that we can't actually talk to like a friend like yeah. we're doing here? I think the answer to that question depends on what you're presupposing. If that makes sense. Does it though? I think it does. So if we live in a, if, if we live, if we live in a reality where God does not exist and we're just moist robots, right? <laughs> moist. Never heard that. Moist well, like, like think about it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we, I think uh, based off what you're saying, it sounds like we all agree that the soul exists and the, the mind, our center of self-consciousness is not the same as the brain, right? Mm -hmm. If that's true, then I would argue we do have free will because our, our choices and our dispositions towards certain things are not predetermined by different chemical structures within our brain. But if the soul doesn't exist, I would argue that consciousness itself is nothing but an illusion. And so you have to have a soul to be conscious. Well, if it, it's like, if you think about it for a second, right, everything you would experience would just be a byproduct of predetermined natural law, chemical reactions in the brain. It's called naturalism, right? Um, well, materialism to be more strict okay. here. Um, you can be a naturalist and still believe in the soul. Okay. But a hard materialist that says only the material exists, that they wouldn't believe in the soul, but then they can't really believe in free will. They can't really justify a belief in consciousness. They might try to say that consciousness emerges from the brain, 
but that doesn't really explain anything. So if you're presupposing that, then I would it's say... It's very interesting, because I used to live with a hippie who believed that we were all literally just sex and meat, and once we die, we're dead and there for the worms to eat. Um, but to argue against that... So you're saying... Let, let me just make sure I have that yeah, right. Yeah. So if we, have, if we don't have a soul, then you're saying that let's let soul's kind of a heavy word let's just say immaterial mind okay so that's our brain um no our center of self-consciousness like immaterial so our not, immaterial not self physical and okay. immaterial self that is separate from the brain itself so we're saying there's a consciousness a brain and a soul depending on what conversation we yeah want it to depends have. on what you're talking about specifically but yeah that's very interesting i don't think i've ever had someone split up into three different things. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, the, when I say immaterial mind or, or the soul, they're one and the same, but I find that immaterial mind holds a lot less baggage mm. than the word soul does because of the implications normally put with that. And you're saying that if it's just, if we're just talking about our brain that we do or don't have, I would say consciousness well. is an, isn't, 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 is just an illusion. If it's just the brain, so if it's just the brain, then we don't have free will. No, I would say, yeah, I would, I would say that we don't have free will because every single thing that we would ever think, every single desire we have, every choice we make isn't determined by our consciousness. It's determined by chemical reactions. previous chemical reactions. It's not determine. to say, though, that that, that that could just as easily be dictated by a higher being. Well, that's presupposing a higher being. I'm talking about if we just presuppose... That's a whole separate conversation. I'm saying... If we I do that a lot, by the way. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so, like, presupposing materialism and no soul, I would argue free will is impossible. Now, if we if there's a, a, some type of God out there, you could argue three different things, in my view. One is that this being predetermines everything. Um, who you are, what choices you'll make, and all this other stuff. And some people believe that. You could argue that this being creates knowing the fate, the fated choices you'll make, in which case you still don't have free will. And then the view that I hold is understood. It's the name Molinism. And so the way I see it is God creates a specific or original point, or we would call this a possible world. Right, so a possible world is just the way reality can be of all possible realities. So a different possible world would literally just be that we're having the same exact conversation, saying the exact same exact stuff, but Carter is wearing shorts instead of jeans. So multiverse, not multiverse. Uh, multiverse would entail all these things all existing equally at the same time. Possible worlds are things that can exist or don't exist or do exist. Right. So it deals with possibility and different things happen. Does that, I'm trying to make sure I'm not. Yes and no. My, my issue when I have these conversations has nothing to do with what you're saying, but when you bring up anything that relates to what we're talking about, but also has like its own subcategories, my mind automatically try, like branches that off into its own thing and then tries to reconnect it. Oh, and be like, I know. Oh, well, what if this? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. So. Yeah, we're just talking about possible worlds here. So yeah. <laughs> the view that I hold is that God creates, let's just say there's, for the sake of simplicity, 
let's just say there's 10 possible worlds God could instantiate at the act of creation. God decides to cre create possible world eight, right? But God has three types of knowledge when it comes to our free choices. There's um, what he knows what we will do. He knows what we would do under a particular set of circumstances. And he knows what we can do, what's possible. And so at the instantiation of possible world eight, all of a sudden we have all these other possible worlds that will start obtaining depending on free choices of creatures. Um, and then so our actions, this is where philosophy can get really wonky. Um, our actions are chronologically after God's foreknowledge, but logically prior to his foreknowledge. In other words, God knows what we will do based off of the free choices that we make. Okay, yeah. Um, and do you believe that? Yeah, that's what I hold. So you believe that basically... I'm trying to catch up with everything here. I've yeah, yeah, had you're this good. Kind of Ask any questions. <laughs> uh, so you're basically saying that he knows the kind of choices we can or will make. All three. There's all three. What's pot? What we can possibly. So that means what we choices no we can possibly make. Yeah. Um, that in and really that just deals with logical um, contradictions. What's humanly possible, stuff like that. Um, the pot, the choices that we would make given a particular set of circumstances. So. Than goes in the kitchen and he's for and he is craving chocolate and there's chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream which one will he do obviously i'm going to pick the chocolate um and then he knows what we would do what we will do which is um the logically prior stuff that he knows what we will do in certain in so then we don't have free will no we do it's really... like i said um the choices are logically prior meaning God's foreknowledge is dependent on our free choices. But didn't you say the first two out of the three meant that we didn't have free will? No, the first two out of the three are <laughs> possibility. Mm -hmm. So if there's if there's chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream in a, in a refrigerator, it's not possible for me to choose strawberry. That's what I mean by possibility. Gotcha. Does that help clear that up? A little bit. So it's like the the... It, it took me time to kind of understand <laughs> He's this way one. more intricate than most people I talk to. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's taken me time to partially wrap my head around what he said, because we've had that conversation before. Um, and what's kind of helped me think of it is the context of that. I can't understand. <laughs> I can't, no, no, no. Let me finish the sentence. I can't, I can't understand God. I can't understand this deistic being who is, exists outside of my physical, tangible reality. Mm -hmm. um, and that gives me a little bit of, it takes some of the pressure off me. Because I'm like, my human brain can't really understand. Like, it's starting to understand. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I get it. Like, God knows what's going to happen. So, therefore, like... But like you said, that's dependent on my choices and my free will. But he also, it's starting to make sense. So does right. it, So I guess in that sense, going right off that topic, does that mean that, for example, the, the two people a little younger than myself who were murdered four streets down from me, that God just chose it was their time so they had to die? or No. Um, so that's a really good question. So the question... If we if we were to 
the question almost assumes determinism or fatalism, right? Well, they died at that time, so that was their appointed time to die. So it can kind of mix into this thing called the problem of evil. Um, and so I would argue that they didn't have an appointed time to die where God was like, oh, all right, I'm going to send murderers to kill them. or This is just their time to die. Um, but I would argue that there's a few different things, right? Um, and there's a way, a few different ways I can answer that question depending on what you're more interested in, which is, I want to know. Are what you interested you about the free will side of things or the problem of suffering and evil side of things? I want to know why you think they died, and yeah, I just want to know from your perspective what where why you they come died. From. Um, well, from a free will perspective, it was the free choices of the murderers who killed them, um, and then why they died because of the free choices of the murderers that killed them. Now, if you want to ask, why did God allow that to happen? Is that more so what you're asking? That would naturally be a, the, probably the third follow-up. Yeah. yeah. And so, it dep again, my answer is going to depend on the motivation of the question. If that makes sense? Because there's two the reasons. the most philosophical crap I've ever heard. What? Because then my, my so response to that would be, why would it have to depend on the... Because, okay, so that's a, that's a good question. So the reason why I would answer my qu the question differently depending on the motivation is there's the question of there's that more emotional side of the question like why did they have to die but then there's the logical side of the question where we, we remove emotion from here and we think and and the question's more motivated by um the like i said the problem of evil um something where people will argue evil exists therefore god doesn't exist or are now loving God. So you say this because the only answer that Campo is going to be satisfied by is the one that his his mo his his motivated. His motivate, his, yeah, his I'm not because if I question. answer through a logical point, that's not going to satisfy. So if you're if you're angry that those two kids died, I don't know. And <laughs> well, no, I literally just, heard about it while I was in my bed on my phone. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying. I'm just saying. Like, if you're angry about that, yeah, then the answer that he's going to try to give you is... is not going to satisfy the emotional appeal uh, of the... Motive, like, the emotional right. motivation. But if you're asking this from a purely logical, philosophical side, um, yes. then answering with a mo with a emotional response isn't going to satisfy that side. And putting the two together rarely ever works. So, <laughs> so treating this as if, like, is almost like a PC type thing in, in the sense of... Let's remove what I may want or think about it, mm -hmm. and I just want the your like the philosophical side. I just want whatever you have. What where where would it come from from you in your mind? How would you respond so, to this kind of thing? Remove Kempo from the equation. Right. <clears throat> you find out that two kids down the street just now got murdered. What do you think? That really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, and like, now say you ask yourself like okay say now you have an emotional response and you're an angry. emotional response and emotion and you think and you're kind of angry about it yeah like what then my my, my emotional side my emotional mean? self would probably be something along the lines of anger at the people that did whatever they did um, and more so like a somber cry to God to 
bring his promises to fruition. Um, if you know Christian what do you theology, mean by that? like if you know Christian theology, meaning um, there's gonna there will be a day where he decide where he he stops allowing all these things to happen, and the people that do want to be with him will be with him, and the people that reject him um, won't be with him, and there will be no more pain, suffering, all this other stuff. So that, like that's what I mean by promises. The Bible's chock full of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the the philosophy side of me, right? If you're going to ask me that part, um, I see tons of avenues for God to have morally sufficient reason for allowing those things to happen. Would you even dare to say that he was a partial guide or influence to that happening? No. At all? Absolutely not. And this is this is even putting Christianity aside. Um, I would just see I would see that as logically metaphysically impossible for him to be part of that because if moral facts exist like objective moral truths exist um, and we're presupposing God exists these things are grounded in his like nature who he is and so he being those things cannot be the result of evil it would be a contradiction in ter- it would be a complete contradiction it's that's what we would call like a logical contradiction and those are impossible you can't have a square circle you can't have a married bachelor stuff like that it's kind of um correct me if I, if i sound incorrect here um but i think <laughs> correct me if i sound incorrect <laughs> Gosh, my brain is dying um so i kind of like i i'm going to ask a separate question but it ties in to a degree um we got on the topic at small group a while ago is like does god what does his discipline look like and like when when you you know steal cookies out of the cookie jar as a kid your parents would spank you or whatever or give you a timeout or something and that's like that's what we think of as discipline mm-hmm. um, but that's like punishment like it's discipline to a degree but they kind of punish you for what you did so that you learn from it um and I, I, I think I had a conversation with you, like, does God punish us for things? Um, and that's a question that I asked. And what I kind of settled on was that he doesn't, he has, he, he is capable of punishing. I th- actually remember us kind I of, I wouldn't call it punishing. We left this conversation with a little bit of a disagreement, but it's, it's more of like, um, you know, you did something wrong. You now have to deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And in the context of what, if the Bible's true and Adam and Eve were created and they're the first humans and everything was perfect and then they made one choice and they sinned and that then caused the rest of us to have to deal with, with that mistake. Or even if you want to narrow it down even further into more of this time where we continually do choose, we make the decision to live in sin, then we have to deal with the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. So, in the context and frame of the Bible and the story of the Bible, then these two guys, or these murderers killing these kids, is, it's a consequence of our decision. It's a consequence of Adam and, Adam and Eve's decision at the beginning, but it's also a consequence of mankind's consistent choice to live in sin. Um... So, so it's in, like it, there's in, it it's free will by those guys. 
but right. I, it, but it, it it comes about because it, they they've been set up for it. I would be very careful with saying that the person that got murdered got murdered as a result of of like I I actually agree with what you're saying. It's just the semantics are right. I'm not good with semantics. No, that's all good. So Freaking like semantics. I don't even know what semantics. So when you details. What, trust me, when you're when you're talking to philosophers, if you mess up a little semantic issue, you'll get chewed apart. Yeah, um, which is why I appreciate you being gracious. No, it's all good. Um, so yeah, I would I would just be like more semantically careful and say, um, at the end of the day, we don't know the direct entailments of the consequences of anybody's actions because I don't know those people's lives. Right. Right. Yeah. All I know is somebody was alive and then two people murdered them. Right. And that's all I know. And that's all I can really speak on. So all I can really say is it's the actions of the free of it's the actions of the free choices of those murderers. Uh-huh. So back to that whole punishment slash discipline thing. I don't know if I would actually say God punishes people. I would say that God judges people. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Um, and I would say God disciplines, but I would say discipline is a good thing. It right. serves a greater good. Well, discipline, discipline is like, I mean, that's me like disciplining myself and going to the gym when I don't want to. That's, it's a good thing. It's, it can be painful, but it's mm-hmm. a good thing, but it's not like, I think discipline and punishment, I grew up thinking they were the same thing. Right. And they're not. Punishment is, discipline is, um, rehabilitative while punishment is more of just a this is bad i'm gonna punch you in the face (laughs) right so what was god flooding the earth i don't take that i don't take that literally what was what what was god what god flooding the earth um wait wait wait. time out so than you just I, i believe in a local flood you don't believe in a worldwide flood nope does it say anywhere in the bible that it was worldwide um, if you take the hyperbolic language, hyperbolic define that, um, you're at a football game and we're, and we say, we're going to annihilate the other team. Does that mean we're actually going to, uh, wipe them off the face of the planet? That's hyperbole. Right, right. Right. And so in the same sense, you can see hyperbole in the Bible all over the place. Um, for instance, even in the gospels, when Satan takes Jesus to the mountaintop and it says look at all the kingdoms in the world well that's evidence for flat earth oh stop (laughs) (laughs) i've heard i've had people say that to me um so yeah no actually some a lot of scholars like michael heiser even says that um the flood was more than more than likely just a local flood interesting and we have archaeological evidence for that did it wipe out all of mankind on the earth no i don't think so again i think all of mankind was just a hyperbole interesting that's so, controversial. That's, but, I mean, that's extremely I mean, controversial. And, you here, lost about half the people listening, I guarantee you. Well, but, here's, but, but I would argue also that even, let's say it was a natural thing, God can God created, so therefore he can, can control. Right. And it says in the Bible, he's the one who sent the flood. So right. So was that... I would call like, that just was, a form of judgment. Uh, so that so you label that as judgment. Yeah. So, let's, so who's to say, year, decades, millennia later... That the shooting wasn't a judgment. I can't say. That's why I said, that's why I was so careful about what claims I'm making. Because all I said is, all I can really say for sure right. is the death of that person resulted by the free choices of those murderers. Um, 
but I never, but I never really said one way or another about anything else because no, I yeah. don't know enough. Um, and I, and I respect you for doing it that way for that reason, rather than doing it to make different parties happy. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> um, no, but you brought up a good point. You said I probably lost a lot of people or something. Yeah. Um, cause I mean my initial reaction, the first time you said that I'm like, Oh boy, T's finally lost it. <laughs> like, in the, like I have initial reaction because you're raised in the church, which I think this is a really, this is part of deconstruction. I wasn't raising it. Or well, you're saying you, oh. I'm saying me <laughs> and the people you lost. Oh. Um, this is part of deconstruction is it's questioning literally everything. Cause um, atheists and evolutionists and stuff, they come after the flood pretty hardcore. Because mm-hmm. if they can disprove the flood, then they can disprove that the Bible doesn't tell the they truth. They can disprove inerrancy. Right, exactly. So um, so this, it's a big deal for somebody to say that something that has been literally like assumed their whole life. Well, that, so what's really that, that interesting... Isn't, isn't exactly what they've been taught. Yeah, so what's really interesting, a lot of, the, a lot of what you see in Christianity in America lately... Has only like today, I should say, mm-hmm. has only really been around for 150 to 200 years. Um, when I looked at ancient church history, even dug into first and second temple Judaism before Christianity, I was astounded to figure out that allegorical interpretation predates Christianity into second temple Judaism. What do you mean allegorical interpretation? Of Genesis, the Genesis account. Okay. So before even Jesus' time, they believed in a genealogical Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. but not them being like the first people. What did they believe? Um, some, I say this, when I say this, um, you have to keep in mind that these people lived thousands of years before us. Right. So they only knew so much of this. Mm-hmm. They were th- what you would call theistic evolutionists. Okay. But obviously this predates Darwinian evolution and all this other stuff. But they realized in like we have ancient writings from these people where they realized like, no, this is changes within a type and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they believe that just St. Augustine was another example of them, of one of these people. Huh. So they just kind of believed that. Uh, so allegorical interpretation uh, is a newer phenomenon. No. 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 Like I said, it predates Christianity. Right. Define allegorical again. Um they see like they see Genesis as an like the creation account as an allegory. So okay. the earth isn't six thousand years old there. Oh right, right, right. Gotcha, like, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Like Yeah. So that's so they actually I mean again, like that was before Darwinian and evolution was a theory. Yeah, Second Temple Judaism. So they just believe that kind of like we just came to being yeah. somehow. Like they, God, they, God started if it? You, Did if, they still believe if in you creation? Were gonna, if you were going to read um, the Tanakh, which uh-huh. is a Hebrew Old Testament. Yeah. Um, Genesis actually talks about God ordering the universe. Yeah. Not creatio ex nihilo, which Ooh, is creation out of nothing. Right. Um. Some people did, some of the ancient Israelites did believe in creation next Nilio. Um, and some believe that God exists eternally with a pre-existing universe that he ordered. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of room for interpretation there. Right. And this is more of like the scholarly stuff that yeah. is really difficult to talk about with some people because they, we have so much stuff going on in America where it's like we push aside anything 
that isn't, <laughs> yeah, you know. And this is, so this, well, this kind of conversation, so I guarantee that some of the people listening to this right now have been raised the same way I have. Yep. And right now they're like probably dismissing a decent amount of what you're saying just off, off the bat because they don't want to believe it and they don't, mm-hmm. they probably haven't put in the work. Um, but, you know, like if some of them probably are like, if I was listening to this, I'd be kind of like freaking out a little bit because I'm like, oh shoot, this guy's a Christian and he doesn't even necessarily believe the th- same thing that well, I've I never taught. said anything about what I believe. Well, you just, you just said that you'd, uh, with the flood, with the flood. But the the point is, is that if this is kind of shaking your faith a little bit, that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that will spark a little bit of deconstruction. That's a good spot to be in. It's uncomfortable, but some of the best phases of life are when you're very yeah, uncomfortable. I, it's growth. I, I see. So the problem is, a lot of people will see this. I don't. I don't see it as a reason to be faith shaking at all. Actually, because at, at the end of the day, how we interpret and read the Bible and how we like, what is the best way to interpret the Bible, right? Right. That's a completely separate set of questions and methodologies than does God exist and did Jesus rise from the dead? Those are the two most fundamental <laughs> right. and questions you can ask. That's why, because you put a lot of effort into defending Jesus' resurrection. Yeah, the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and the rest of it really is just a secondary issue. Right. At the end of the day. Um which, ironically, I would interpret meaning that everything we've talked about until you saying that right there, coincidentally and humorously means we're talking about semantics. <laughs> and we're arguing Which is over super semantics. <laughs> <laughs> semantics. So, yeah. Um, those are just secondary issues at the end of the day. I, I, sorry. You're good. I just don't like it so close to me. I know, but it sounds so much better. Um, so, yeah. I, I think they're secondary issues, and I don't think that these should be faith shaking i think of how many people lost their faith because of richard dawkins who was an evolutionary biologist but then the, you have to ask yeah and then you have to ask the question what does evolution have to do with the of a theistic proposition can science and religion coexist yeah science doesn't say anything about the existence of god right like if you really think about what you would define as a theistic being. It's a, here's gonna. This is where words are gonna come. So you have to let, they, let like ask for an explanation. Okay, um, it'd be Just a metaphysically ultimate necessary being for all contingent facts of reality. So metaphysics, right? Necessary meaning cannot not exist, and then contingent for for contingent things. Contingent meaning it can cease to exist or fail to exist. And then I have arguments for that, obviously, but <laughs> I'm looking at your face. Carter. I just I just like watching Carter's face I as know. he processes. <laughs> He's just like, it, like like his face in the dictionary is the definition of the loading screen. <laughs> He's got the processing. He's got the uh, Apple iPhone like yep, circle exactly, thing. Literally what I was going thinking. Over his face. That's extremely accurate. This is also the face I make when I tuned out for half a second, came in, and now I'm drowning. <laughs> oh no! What did I miss? It's oh. like it's like when you're playing a video game and you're like running next to water, and then you glitch, and all of a sudden you're like 20 feet underwater. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> So, that's so yeah, like when you think about that kind of a thing, yeah, right, God, science can't say anything about it, right? 
it can't say anything about God directly, but if you believe in God and you look at science, they, they complement each other. Well, okay. So when it comes to from science, that, from that worldview, which I realized that's okay. A, oh, they can complement each other, but I would say science can't do anything. Right. Cause you have the thing, you have this thing called the problem of underdeterminacy, which means any set of data you have, you can't really test the neg. You can't really prove which side of the hypothesis the data proves. In other words, you could look at the fine-tuning of the universe and say, wow, we just got really lucky. And you can also look at the fine-tuning of the universe and say, wow, God exists. Right, yeah. Right. And there's no way to prove and there's one no, way the And there's no real way to say which one is which. You can, account, you can assign probabilities mm-hmm. and all these other things. Um, which is one thing that Christians love to do. Is they love to, you know, talk about the rolling the dice. Oh, thing. I, I, I <laughs> take it. Okay, you're gonna, you might like this. I hate the majority of Christian arguments. Amen. Like, <laughs> I think, I, I, I think, um, I think the majority of Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm actually like genuinely upset by the by the amount of anti intellectualism you see in American Christianity. Um, most of the arguments. That's how I feel. What. That's how I feel about myself. Like I feel like because I'm not that knowledgeable, and I stopped studying for so long that I, I feel like I'm part of that that bracket of anti knowledge. Well, no, I wouldn't say you're anti intellectual. What I'm what I'm more so alluding to is there's a group, there's a very large vocal group of Christians in America that will push away any sort of intellectualism because either it's a monster in the closet or it's the devil or something like that. Right. And I'm actually genuinely upset about it. And then, and I'm sure you've run into it probably where it's not basically like where, for example, if you're like, Hey, father, such and such, I have a question about this, but they tell you, I don't remember which one of you that was, as I said earlier when, when they probably, tried it was to probably me. deter you from questioning things. Yeah. Like, is that basically? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, um, I highly, that that's one of many things that kind of led me, um, to, distance myself from the catholic community yeah and so i'm actually really upset i'm really upset about you've you've heard me talk about it a lot carter yeah um and i'm very upset with the lines of reasoning that christians tend to use when it comes to justifying their positions so what what triggered you with this was like talking about like the because like uh like you look at the universe you think wow we're either incredibly lucky or there was god and so christians who believe in a god then justify their position by saying yeah like it's we would have had to be so incredibly lucky, you know. It's like if you roll a dice, you know, what are the chances you're gonna roll a seven? It's like not much. Like imagine trying to roll two million sevens right in a row. That's that's the chance of evolution. Like it's arguments like that. So what about those arguments is so anti-intellectual? Well, okay. So first of all, because you hit on evolution, um, I don't have the argument off the top of my head because there's a lot of um, set theory and lots of mathematics involved. But that's why I, I quit college. Uh, why? <laughs> you said mathematics, and immediately my mind goes, "That's why I quit college." <laughs> <laughs> um, there's actually, I actually have an l- argument I love. It's called the evolutionary argument against naturalism or an- like non-theism. Okay. And it actually argues that even it, given evolution, if we assume it to be true, we would much more expect it to be true, like to to happen under a theistic model You're than a wrong. non-theistic model. Yeah. 
Um, so that's really cool. So but, you're say, by that you mean that God could have used evolution and yeah, or, or not necessarily Set, ordained it, evolution but and guided emotion. It and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, rather than it just happening by pure chance, which in a way would actually make God seem more powerful. So I I think what might be helpful here is when we have to define the word evidence. Okay. That might be really helpful, actually. Sure. Because what do you think when you hear the word? <laughs> like, what do you guys think of when you hear the word evidence? Uh, something that, so if you have a theory, evidence, I would think is something that uh, links somebody or something else to that theory. I'm trying to think of it like a murder. Like, if you come across a murder and there's a knife... Um, then, you have, then. then you have Basically. fingerprints on the knife, you yeah. have DNA on the knife, and that connects it to somebody else. Right. So that link is the evidence. So, yeah, go ahead. I was initially going to actually say something like that, but then as he started saying that, I realized that was very scientific and human-based because we created science as humans. And then I realized, in comparison to what I said, or maybe in contrast, whatever works best <laughs> there, I don't know, I'm not good with English this late. You're um, good. But... Relating, relating to what I said earlier, then I realized, does it have to be human-based, scientific, factual, physical evidence, or can it be experience-based, whether it's an experience that you personally had with your religion or an experience you had with, like, for example, like hypnosis, that's why people believe in it. But then that also dives into the rabbit hole of if someone did experience God, let's say one-on-one, and they're like, oh, I f- saw God, in this day and age, I think a lot of religious people would love to hear that, but most of us are just going to consider that to be crazy Steve on the corner downtown. Well, so believe it, I actually believe intuition itself and experience is evidence. So this is the way philosophers define evidence. Um, and even most actual scientists will define it. Um, probability raising data or facts. That's it. Say that again. Probability raising data or facts. So, for instance, um, and a good analogy would be you have two gumball machines, right? One gumball machine has 50% red, 50% blue. The other one has 75% red, 25% blue. You roll a blue gumball. What are, which one are you going to... Which one are you going to guess that it came from? The 50-50, right? 50-50. And so the evidence is the, is the fact that we have 50-50 gumballs and that justifies a belief that it most likely came from the first gumball machine. And so in the same way, we look at reality, the things that we can observe, and we can say, what would we most likely, like under what model of reality would we expect to see the things we do? Um, and so one can look at, this is a really brief overview, right? But like one can just look at the fact that we have humans seem to have some objective value that when we all seem to commonly understand a lot of things as either objectively bad or good. Um, we have consciousness that we can't explain no matter how much science we try to push into it, all these other things. And we th- I mean, and then you kind of decide like what would be more probable under given these sets of data, um, so that's like what evidence would be. I'm not going to say which one to stay 
unbiased, like to stay objective here for you guys. But no, you're fine. I'm um, I'm just processing because every time you open your mouth, my mind goes on three rabbit trails. <laughs> I'm like, good, good. Oh crap, I'm over here, and then so, you're still talking about the point A, and I'm over here point A, like eight point five seven. Yeah, yeah. So what was your original question? I'm sorry. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think. Uh, <laughs> Um, something about you said something about know. evolution. Oh, um, was it that God used evolution to create things? Right, uh, but that was before that. You said something before that. I was that was more of like a fun fact thing. Oh, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> shoot, that's fine. I feel like we're reaching the point. Did you did you did you manage to take a gnarly poop? No, not yet. Okay, it's brewing. I'm I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling pretty bloated right now too, and I feel like my brain cells are turning off. <laughs> Campa, how are you feeling? I'm I'm good. I just can't continue going down rabbit holes on this topic with him. That's fair. We can go on other topic conversations. I'll probably be just fine. I actually want to dive a little bit into T. Thank you so much for your. That's fine. Yeah. Philosophical stuff. <laughs> I wish I had more energy and brain capacity. It's all good. I just mainly wish I had the second one. And I do want to. I- <laughs> Just brain capacity? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We can we can do a lobotomy and so you have more space in your head. That's how that works. Never mind. That was <laughs> I don't understand. Um I do wanna uh focus a little bit on or I think we should talk about because Kempo, the reason that you're not really an atheist is because you had a spiritual uh, experience. Spiritual experience. Yeah. T, you alluded to something like that earlier. Yeah. I have had experiences one in particular that have kind of staved off the possibility of me going atheist Mm -hmm. um so let's just i mean because i feel like a lot of people because like these experiences which actually this kind of goes off of what you were just talking about how experiences can be evidence Mm -hmm. in your opinion um because when I, I, I've heard stories of like whether it's your astro projection thing, Kempo, or whatever stories you have, or other people's stories. Like my parents are into uh, um, the kind of the a little bit of the charismatic side of the faith. Um, they are not full charismatic. They actually have reasons. They they. They're not mean, full charismatic. They're not full. What charismatic. do you mean charismatic? Charismatic is like like full charismatic or like the televi- te- tele tele televangelist. Televangelist like knocking people in their head, knocking them down, and like oh my gosh, I can walk now. They oh. do the Holy Spirit force force push. Dude, yeah. if I didn't have, and I think I told you this before, Carter, if I didn't have morals or ethics, I would have started my own religion like that, and I would make a ton of money. And I thought yeah. about it, legitimately thought about it. Well, we were saying at lunch, my backup plan is people to start are a cult. very impressionable. Yeah, yeah, extremely. They're very emotional, but. My my thing is, uh, is that uh, m- my parents are a little bit more into the charismatic side because I believe there is an actual spiritual side. Demons do oppress people. They can possess people. So I hear all these stories, whether it's from uh, my parents or from people that my parents have met of like seeing these spiritual things happen, seeing demons manifest or like leave people and all this sort of stuff. And I'm kind of like, it sounds great, and I'm sure for that person it was convincing. But for me, from the outside, I can't, I, I can't like really accept this as true for sure. Yeah. Um, but then when you do have an experience, 
you can just acknowledge like, listen, like nobody else is going to understand this, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling at the deepest part of me that this is true. Because mm-hmm. um, it happened to you. Can I right. give you a a big philosophical term for that? Yeah. Phenomenal. Wait, should I say it with a radio voice? Yeah. yeah. Phenomenal conservatism. <laughs> <laughs> I think I figured it out. Every word you have that ends with ism, I don't understand. <laughs> Phenomenal conservatism. Yes, it's an epistemic view that just says that your intuition and experience can serve to justify a belief. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Campo, you gave us the, the lowdown on your experience. Mm-hmm. Um. So my experience actually directly involves tea. Um, so oh, I remember. Okay, you you can speak into this a little bit. So I'll just let you talk. I've talked a lot tonight. I was going into oh, shoot. I can't remember what stage of life this was. This was like this was two years ago. This was before COVID. Um, and we, you were gonna come down and visit because again, you live in Wisconsin. I live in northern Indiana. Um, you were going to come down and go on a men's retreat with me and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a few weeks leading up to that, you had said that you had like a vision or an impression mm-hmm. that you were going to pray for me and something was going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard that and I've heard people have like these little revelations before and it always just kind of freaks me out. I'm like, oh, like we're playing, it never X- happens. We're playing Xbox and you say that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure thing. He's like, can I pray for you? Like when we see each other next, I'm like, okay, sure. Whatever. <laughs> kind of hoping that you forgot when the time <laughs> came. Um, but lo and behold, like you were about to come down for this men's retreat. Um, and in the back of my mind, that's still there. And so you come down, we're at my parents' house. You're talking to my mom about, uh, something spiritual uh-huh. and I'm kind of involved in the conversation and uh, then everybody goes to bed you and I are sleeping in the same room I'm on the futon you're on a bed uh, don't lie yeah you're right we, we were in the same bed <laughs> no we were we were in separate beds <laughs> and uh, we were just laying there having like sleepover pillow talk I guess <laughs> Well, I thought we weren't in the same nine. bed. How were we having a pillow talk? If... I didn't understand what pillow talk I'm sorry, talk continue. Later. But we were, you know, we were having like sleepover, like boys talk. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about spiritual stuff. And I think it came up. I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure about the whole like charismatic side or whatever. Can't remember what we were talking about. But then I remember you were just like, well, you want me to pray for you now? I'm like, I was nervous because I'm like, I've heard of this. I've seen this. I've actually been a part of some of this before. I'm like, it's weird. It's awkward. And even though we're close, I'm like, I don't know. But I'm like, yep, let's, let's do it. Um, and so we were, we started, you started, you came over. I sat on the edge of the futon and it was dark. We didn't turn like any lights on. And you like, I think you, I don't know if you put your hands on me right away, but there, you did put your hands on me at one point and you started praying and pretty quickly there was like a physical reaction that my body had. Like my legs started like shaking and bouncing like crazy, yep, which I was remember. really, it was unusual. Um, I was just, I was just as surprised. Yeah. And <laughs> I, my body was like tremoring a little bit and we, we went for like 30 minutes mm-hmm. probably. Um, and it was just a process of like, um, I think it was like confessing uh, sins, like, renouncing some of the things that I'd done, um, repentance, um, and turning from those things. Um, 
And at one point, I started feeling a tightness in, I can't, I think it started in the top of my throat. Um, or it was my gut, I can't remember. And over like a span of five to ten minutes, it worked its way. Um, I think it started in the top of my throat. It worked its way kind of down into my core. And then um, they, we kind of settled out a little bit. And then I can't remember what you were praying exactly or what was happening. But I dry heaved like three times. Like I had a yeah. very physical dramatic reaction. I don't throw up often. I throw up like once every three years and I hadn't eaten anything weird. I hadn't, you know, done anything strenuous or anything like this was a very unusual No drugs. No drugs. And it was, (laughs) it was a dry heave. I thought it was a dry heave. I thought you puked. Yeah. You said, so that happened and you're like, okay, let's take a break. And you walked over to the bathroom, flipped the light on to grab some paper towels because you thought you, I, like, you I saw, you thought saw you something. I thought I saw something coming out of your. You saw throat. something come out of my face. Face orifices. <laughs> but then <laughs> you're, you, wait, is or is it orifices or is it orphi? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Know, continue. Orphi, <laughs> Settled. Let's go, start calling it orphi. So you flip the light on and then you turn around and there's nothing on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't throw anything up. Um. And that, and then like the next day, like we were talking to my parents about it because we felt like there was still some unresolved stuff. And, um, then they prayed a little bit and it was good, but it wasn't as dramatic, dramatic. Um, it was the lighting. It probably was the lighting. Yeah. <laughs> Lack thereof. <laughs> um, but, uh, there was, uh, th- that weekend, then we went on this men's retreat and I had the deepest peace. And I was, I'm was i a very anxious person. Mm-hmm. I'm a very high-strung person. I had the deepest peace that weekend that I had had maybe ever. Um, and there, I, I read my Bible, I think, one of the mornings, and God spoke to me super directly, super clear. It was like... It was like my relationship with God, like it was like there was a fog in between us and the fog then kind of yeah. got lifted and it was like super clear. I was calm. I was, it was peaceful. And, uh, then I found out later that you thought I actually threw something up and it was just, and from what my parents were telling me, like it's a consistent, it's consistent to like, um, if you believe that demons do oppress people and like, or spirits, I guess, oppress mm-hmm. people, like when they leave, they sometimes like it looks like something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what I felt before plus the experience and then like equals like the peace and stuff that I had afterward, like this is all consistent. This was something, this was a spiritual event mm-hmm. that manifested itself physically. Yep. And that is one of the reasons, because then I went through a pretty intense phase of deconstruction over the next two years and that was one of the events i kept coming back to i'm like i can't explain this away yep um and it it is just it's like i think it's interesting that we all have stuff like that in our lives that affected where we are now and it's almost like assuming that god is real i feel like they're easter eggs a little bit yep like they're little tidbits of like God giving us glimpses into the re into the bigger reality. Yeah. Hoping that, well, not hoping. I don't think God hopes. 
I think he knows. But, yeah, and I don't think God hopes for anything. <laughs> but uh, he's guiding us, I think, toward the truth, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And I think as long as we're pursuing the truth, genuinely, I don't care if you know, you're know you agnostic, I don't care if you're an atheist, I don't care if you're a Muslim. Like, as long as you're genuinely pursuing truth, that is all that I value. Um, which is one of the reasons I think that even if you're not a Christian, you should read the Bible. Because if God is real, if Christianity is true... Oh, I think if you're a Christian, you should be reading the Quran. I think you should be reading the Vedas, the Upanishads. Yeah. All sorts you, of stuff. You should stuff. be educating yourself. You should continue to pursue truth. Yep. I think one of the most interesting things that Daibu ever said to me... In class, I, I can't remember. Daibu, sorry for the context. Oh, Daibu uh, is that's our martial arts, arts teacher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things he ever said to me, because I'm the only, I think I'm the only non-religious and non-homeschooled student there, at least for a while. I yeah, I think, think that, that's that probably me. accurate. Um, And he said this really recently, like in the past, I want to say like two or three months. I remember he looked at me at some point and he goes, um... Oh, no, it had to have been a while back because I hurt another one of my toes. And we were all in the loft waiting for, like, Taylor and everyone to get back with food. And so that was after class. And I remember him having a talk with me about a joke I made uh, about Easter and Jesus rising. And I texted him, Happy Zombie Jesus Day. Ooh. And he had, and that that's kind of, yeah, that, that that's a verbal representation of, I guess, how I made him feel. And he goes, I know you meant well. Happy Easter. And then he had a very long talk with me, you know, the very next class. And I looked at him and, and my general response without going too much into our conversation was, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I'm glad that you know I didn't mean any harm. But I'm not going to apologize for kind of being who I am and, and doing my thing, which is at the core of what I do, a comedian in, in some way, shape or form, whether it's with comedy, magic, hypnosis, or just comedy. Um, and he's like, where'd you learn that joke? I go, Catholic high school from Catholics. Um, but that goes hand in hand with the fact that everyone has their own subjective understanding, interpretation and okayness or not okayness with comedy, which is where, you know, you got to be careful, I guess, uh, as I've learned in several markets now, you gotta, you gotta read your audiences really well. But I remember at some point in that conversation, he looked at me and goes, I'm just hoping that, you know, you'll, you'll experience what I've experienced and you'll go down the path that I, I believe to be best for you and that you'll read the Bible, this and that. And he goes, because if I'm right, I'm afraid for you. But if you're right, then I'm afraid for myself. Hmm. And I thought that was the most interesting yet subtle way something like him has ever kind of indirectly stated, kind of like, you know, I want, I, kind of like my friend, my other videographer, he says, you know, I'm not here to convert you. I'm here to just make sure that you don't go to the bad place. And I felt like Dabu was just saying like, hey, you might be right, but if so, then everything I'm doing is for nothing. And that kind of scares me. But if I'm right, then I'm actually scared on your behalf for you. Right. Which I thought was incredibly endearing and very nice because not a lot of people like him that I've met in my life or kept around have have kind of been emotionally i don't know how how to phrase that but i guess invested emotionally invested in me to that degree that they don't they don't bash me emotionally or verbally but they're just like hey i worry for you kind of thing yeah Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons i i think i've told you many times carter i like the community of the martial that the martial arts school is based around because 
you're not uh, the the overly judgmental and you're going to hell type. We like to we like to try to <laughs> be like <laughs> Jesus as much as we can. <laughs> yeah. Well, that really like even just speaks like I've had a lot of people ask me for context for you. Um, I still don't know what to call you. John. John. Okay. <laughs> I like. I'm still. I'm like. White boy name. <laughs> well, no, because the thing is, like, you wanted me to call you Kim Poe, but then I'm like, I was just messing with John Poe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, because um, I've had a lot of people ask me, like, um, oh, that's where I was going with this. For context, I quit my job to go into ministry, like my career to go into ministry. I was always making six figures, um, and so I've had a lot of people be like, "Are you nuts? Like, why would you do that?" And they, that's pretty much the answer. It's um, I would love to sit down and have a chance to talk with you, like non-aggressively, yeah, like just two bros talking by by the campfire, having a beer together about why I think this is true, and you can poke holes in it. Because at the end of the day, right? Anybody I'm talking to, it's at the end of the day, it's because I care. If I think there isn't ever, if if I think there's a, an all-loving God that wants to have a relationship with you, and if you choose to, and then whether you directly or indirectly choose to reject him, it's bad, depending on your view of hell, especially, right? Um, what, why would I not want to do that? And so, to me, that's just, that's that should be what Christians are, but you bring up an amazing point about the fact that there's so many of them that are going to point the finger and be like, you're going to hell, blah, 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 blah. And it's so frustrating to me. Yeah, and that's why I like the martial arts class that I go to now because I've been a part of two other martial arts communities. The first one was given to me for free through my university, um, but I was only there for a very short period of time before I realized that I didn't need the degree I was going for and I want to be a stage performer, yep. but I didn't want to be told what to do. I want to be my own director. So I was like, screw you, college. And I left college and then I uh, went through the home uh, near homelessness and starving artist phase. And during that phase, I tried joining another martial arts school and they 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 try to get me like up to like i think in our class it would be like orange or like green belt level within like day one they're trying to teach me all this stuff and they looked at me and said so did you enjoy your free trial are you ready to sign a uh, contract with us and are, are you ready to go into competition i was like no none of that and then uh obviously one of the, our old students who was working as my graphic designer eventually introduced me to you guys and at first i'm not gonna lie i was hesitant but I think the one of the nicest things was that, and this is a huge, and I don't even, I'm not even sure, Carter, if I've told you this, this is something that I've actually appreciated about LFCK, which is Life for Christ, or Life for Christ Karate, for everyone who doesn't know, is he took me in the back room when I first joined, and he said, is it fair to say that me and you have different religious perspectives and views and beliefs? And I just kind of nodded my head. He goes, okay. And the summary of the conversation was, if you can tell me or nod your head or agree to at least memorize one new Bible verse per belt test, then you can continue coming. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. I'll, I'll get that <laughs> over. I'll get it over with so I can get my nice shiny belt for my belt rack and feel yeah. cool. And that's standard for all students. He didn't just say that to just you. Like that's, that's standard. Like every student has to learn a yeah. verse per belt, but yeah. Um, but I just recently, and I'm not going to lie, so I know this frustrated me. <laughs> Taylor gave me my second degree brown belt test like two weeks ago. Oh. And I practiced that verse, Galatians 5, 22 to 23 for three months. And I was ready. And Taylor never asked. It's probably because he doesn't remember it. And, but it's funny because as I, as I continue to progress through our class and graduate mm -hmm. 
uh, or as I call it, quote unquote, graduate to new belts. I like it because it's not being forced down my throat, but they're saying, hey, to get to this milestone, you got to do this on top of, you know, the actual physical martial arts. And every time I'm reading a new verse, there's some part of every verse that we're having to read and memorize that I feel that my Catholic education failed me in the sense that I can find and understand and now put it almost like a puzzle piece, certain parts of every scripture into my personal life and understand how I can become a better person as a person uh, versus just memorizing and regurgitating it for a paper test like school does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I like also is on our paper, it actually asks us, what does this mean to you? And I don't remember a lot of that being discussed in Catholic education what that I went through either. And that's, I think, and, and the thing is, I'm not even sure if I've told Daibu this, but no one really talks about that in class, and he never really asks or talks to me about that. He just expects me to do it for the belt tests. But I, I have very gradually found myself appreciating the passages that we have to actually read and being like, oh, like, I, c I can see how this applies or I'd like to apply this. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the whole, when people ask me, you know, why aren't you in a faith or something? Be and I, I basically respond, you know, the Bible, the passages, the messages that are good and you can incorporate them in your life to search for the truth, as Carter said, or become a better person. But I realize you don't need you don't need an organized religion not to be an asshole. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I've that's been another point of my deconstruction is like if, I've realized if nothing else, the Bible teaches good standards of living, like good good ru rules, quote unquote, to live by. That if people lived by these, there would be less conflict. Um, and I mean that gives you a glimpse into the state of the church and how much they're living by the Bible, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> like but, that tone at the tail end of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's going to be... I was actually going to take that on a different route. Oh, go ahead. Interesting. Um, this is a, philosoph this is a ph philosophical one, but... Because um, you brought up you don't have to believe in, like, an organized religion or a god in order to be a good per like, a decent person, right? And I completely agree. And so many... So that whole thought process stems from something called like the moral, the moral argument for God's existence. And so many people misunderstand it. And they think in order to be good, you have to believe in God. But it's an argument for like, how does good actually exist? And it describes two possible realities. God exists and good exists. Or God does not exist. And things like moral facts don't exist. And so, so many people misunderstand that argument and you then say, well, you're an atheist or you're an agnostic, you're not a Christian, so you can't be a good person. It's super frustrating. That was yeah. the, that's what came to mind. When no, I love that because that reminds me, I, I used to be really close with uh, an artistic student at my, at my high school and she was the biggest atheist at my, at that point in my life that I knew, mm -hmm. but she was the friendliest and most emotionally open and vulnerable and willing to connect with and help you through anything yep. compared to every other religious kid at that school. Yep. And that blew my mind because, again, growing up as a kid, you know, very sheltered. So I got to college. Your reality is what you grow up in and the people that you're surrounded with, which is your parents and your siblings or whatnot. And then getting onto the real world and getting into my career, I just realized, like, interestingly 
people I was meeting with tattoos and not as part of organized religions and whatnot. And this obviously doesn't put all of them in the same uh, house, but I was finding that people who initially I used to look at and get scared by, like I used to be scared to to initiate a conversation or connect with anyone with tattoos or piercing of any kind. That used to scare the crap out of me. <laughs> and then, and then I started, I went to college and then I started meeting more and more people like that. And I realized that they were like all super chill. Yep. But then I'd go back to my, you know, Catholic communities and they're always like, you know, don't judge, but you knew that Sally was going to her brunch on Saturday, Sunday afternoon after church, you know, spilling the beans on, Kathy and Dan over there, yep. like, yeah. like, don't, don't do this or don't do that. But then they're doing that as where, you know, these people with tattoos and piercings and these people that I initially was afraid of because of what I had preconceived based on what I was taught and um, what was presented to me as quote unquote reality. I, I, I realized my first two and a half, my only two and a half years in college that college they say is where you find yourself. And I did find my career and what I want to do. But I think for me, it was, college helped shatter the false reality mm -hmm. that I had been influenced by so many outside sources to believe was the reality. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you don't got to be afraid of people with a flower tattoo and a nose piercing. They're kind of nice. Yep. Yep. That's, yep. I went through something similar. I never went part, through that. Part of growing up. Well, you were born with tattoos. <laughs> you think I'm brown? <laughs> Did you just do a racism? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Spotify, don't no, take this for down, me, please. For, for me, it was a uh, the opposite because I didn't grow up religious, and for the most part, I actually like hated religious people. There's there is this weird like thing that you have the people that grew up in the church, and then like they go to college and it breaks their worldview because they weren't like taught the truth in my opinion mm -hmm. i'd say that's in my opinion that's what happens with what happened with you kempo yeah and then you got people like ut who they grow up in like the muck and mire of sin and yeah <laughs> and that <laughs> i'll give you my life story if you want and off the off the mic <laughs> <laughs> and then but then then that like that pulls you to the truth um, and it's just super interesting. I just think there, I see those two patterns all yeah. the time. Um, and I mean, yours is super cool because I see how you settled into your faith and I see how people like that settle into their faith and how God uses them. But then I'm very curious to watch people like you, Kempo, because again, from my perspective, you're still on the search for truth and it's very interesting to watch. I think there's a few things to that. One, I'm part of me is content with the fact that I'll never know the full truth. Um, I'll potentially never know the full truth in my human flesh physical existence. Um, however, in terms of him joking, you know, if you take the mic away from me, I'll tell you my life story. That literally reminded me immediately of how I'm glad I used my 20s to do what I did because I felt like my 20s were the decade to test out my life, what I did like, what I didn't like, figuring out college wasn't for me, that I could be an entrepreneur even if everyone thought I was going to become a starving artist and have to go back to college and get a desk job I didn't like. And this is something that I'm not, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud before for a public platform, but <laughs> I've lived the rock star lifestyle. I've done the sex, drugs, alcohol. Oh, I've yeah. made a lot of money within a 
in a month. I've made more money in a month before than any single one of my family members have at that time when I did it. And all of that in my 20s taught me at the end of the day, you have nothing but yourself. Even if you have a significant other, like great. If you have family and friends that love you, great. But at the end of the day, you only have yourself. Money will help you, but it will not buy your happiness in any way, shape, or form. And sex, drugs, alcohol, all the like, you know, the pleasures of life mean diddly squat. And at the end of the day, I realized after one of my best shows I ever did where I had a, which I ended up doing a lesson on called, um, I think it was called How to Control Your High. And it was based around the idea of performer's high. I did a show in an auditorium and I think it was Pennsylvania. It was so big and there were so many students that I got an actual high off of it. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like when you do drugs, even though I said I've done sex, drugs, and alcohol, um, I've never been addicted to anything. And I don't talk about because I know when you say you do this or you do that, people tend to have the prejudgment, kind of like you know mm-hmm. us with the religious people. Um, I've never been addicted to anything, but I know and I've heard from people and I know people that have gotten addicted and say if you have a really really high high, you have a really low low. Yep. And I remember after one of my best shows, I had an amazing high. And then two, three hours later, I was in my, I don't know, Airbnb or friend's house or hotel or wherever I was. And I was depressed. And it was the first time I thought about suicide in a while, even though I knew I didn't want to die. The fact that it came up and then that moment made me realize like none of the rock star lifestyle matters realistically. Again, the money can help sustain and give you a place to live and food to eat. But that was the period of my life that made me realize at the end of the day, as long as you're generally stable mentally emotionally and whatnot and you have a good close-knit support system that's what matters and it's so interesting that it took me it it didn't take religion it took me living the rock star lifestyle that 20 years ago at age eight i thought i wanted and then i lived in my 20s and i'm just like okay well clearly um, that's not how we achieve yep. the eight-year-old, you know, American dream lifestyle that we've done it. So, and I'm, I'm looking at car cause then I, I came to the, the infamous question. Now what? And I was like, so there's clearly more infamous indeed. How's that for a cliffhanger? All right. <laughs> We're rolling up on two hours. My roommate, I think is in bed cause he closed the door and the lights are off. So, you guys want to get freaky? Good night <laughs> and right. sweet dreams. What was this podcast called? Back to the Roots. Back I, to the Roots I wanna, ASMR. I want to do a quick. Uh, I want to do a, a quick disclaimer. Uh, I feel like that treat, should have been done in the beginning, probably. <laughs> but this is for the people who stuck around. Don't treat anything that we've said as gospel as truth. Mm-hmm. This we we know nothing. We're just here. Like just having a conversation. Hopefully, we sparked some inspiration for you to do something. There's a philosopher that once said, "The only thing I know is that I know nothing at all." Socrates, that's a self-defeating statement. Shut up. We <laughs> we don't have time for I'm this. Trying, I'm trying to compliment Carter. He's <laughs> just like, no. <laughs> How can you know nothing but then say you know the fact that you know nothing? That's a thing that you know. I'm done. We're, we're <laughs> we know nothing. <laughs> How do you know you know nothing? Also, make sure to check out T if you liked the things he said and the way he said it. Check out um, what's the website going to be when it goes up? Exploring reality. 
dot com. Ooh. Um, I don't know what the website will be called, but you can like look me up on YouTube or I'm on TikTok. He's on now TikTok. Too. What's your YouTube and TikTok? Exploring reality. That just sounds like an interesting title. I like. Well, that. it's because that's all I do. I take, I take really like, I make arguments. For, I can tell you off the mic. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. He does what he did here, and then Kempo, you want to plug yourself? Uh, it's either John Ways, J O N W A Y E S, on the social medias. Mainly YouTube is what I'm most active and proficient on, or Hypnotista, H Y P N O T I S T A. Since most people don't know how to spell hypnotist, let alone with an A. True. All right. Thanks, guys, once again. It was good. Bye.